Our passage for this morning is uh, from Matthew 23, and a fairly lengthy passage uh, from verse 13 down to the end of the chapter. Matthew 23, verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Remember that Jesus has been talking to um, the crowds and to his disciples with the Pharisees and the scribes um, looking on, as it were. And Jesus says in verse 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by an oath, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by the oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that you may come all uh, may come all the righteous so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones of those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes 
in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and even for the the hard parts of it. And we pray that you'd help us to open our hearts to what you would say to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we uh, began looking at this uh, chapter and we saw how Jesus was speaking to the disciples and the crowds about the Pharisees and the scribes. And in a sense he was doing that over the heads of the scribes and Pharisees. And when he was doing that, he was pointing out uh, the shallowness of Pharisaical religion. That Pharisaical religion is primarily concerned with outward appearances. And the reason that such a religion becomes like that is because no one can truly bear the weight of the requirements that the likes of the Pharisees put on the people. They can't even do it themselves. And so it all becomes a surface thing. It's all about appearances. They can't do it themselves, but they work hard on making it look like they do keep it all. And they put burdens on other people. And Jesus, as we will see in a moment, calls these people hypocrites. Now the point for us is that this kind of Phariseeism is in a sense the default setting of everyone. Everybody covers up their sin. Everybody puts on a face. Everybody puts on an appearance. And it happens when, you, when your religion or your philosophy of life or dare, dare I say it, your therapy is all about advice for life. But Christianity is different. Christianity is not advice for life. Christianity is news. It is a gospel. It is good news. It is the announcement of something that has already happened and about someone that has made it happen, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the call of the gospel is simply to believe him and to receive him that you may be saved from your sins. You see, the Pharisees are are rather like, if you imagine a a battlefield somewhere, and the Pharisees are like a messenger coming to the battlefield, from the battlefield to the city, to warn the city that trouble is coming, and they need to dig in, and they need to make preparations, and they they need to be ready. But the bringer of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a messenger announcing a great victory on the battlefield, and we can all rest. Because we've been saved. That's what the gospel is like. That's the analogy of the gospel. And the problem is here that these Pharisees and modern day Pharisees don't accept the messenger of this gospel. And so live a life of fear and uncertainty about their lives, about what's going to happen to them should death come to them. So this chapter is a a pretty blistering attack on Phariseeism. In fact, it's the the longest sustained attack on them in the whole Bible. 
Other gospel writers have warnings scattered about their books, uh, warnings against the Pharisees, but Matthew has this extensive list of woes that uh, come, uh, to come upon the, uh, the Pharisees. And interestingly, this, this chapter actually has the last words of Jesus in a public setting where he preaches to the public. And it's interesting that these are the words, the last words that he says. Uh, of course, he's got plenty more to say to his disciples in private and to small groups of people and individuals. But in terms of public ministry, this is the last word, the warning that comes from Jesus. And from verse 13, Jesus is, so we've, we've looked last time at uh, this hypocrisy and the shallowness of Phariseeism. And now from verse 13, Jesus is going to give us a list of examples of how Phariseeism works in all kinds of ways. And I'm going to walk through them with you today. But before we do, let me just point out three words or phrases that you need to pay attention to. The first is woe. And woe is, is mentioned seven times. Jesus pronounces woe to the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's an expression of warning from Jesus. But it's also an expression of regret and even compassion on these Pharisees and sinners in all their sins. And it's essentially Jesus issuing a verdict on their Phariseeism, on their attitudes and their behavior that will bring ultimate judgment. The fires of hell are coming for them, as they are. But we shouldn't see Jesus as exulting in punishment. Rather, he is appealing to them to turn from their ways. And sometimes you have to point out the bad things to draw people to what's good. And therefore, as we read this morning, we need to pay attention uh, to this appeal. So the first word is woe. The second word is hypocrite. And Jesus is pointing out again that these, are, these Pharisees are people who, who play a part. They're, they're kind of like actors on a stage, and when they're off the stage, they become somebody else. Or back to what they actually are. And people can be like that with religion. In a public setting, you, you can be one thing, and then in, when you're at home, you can be another thing altogether. And uh, that's what happens. Bad religion encourages that kind of attitude. One thing in one place, one thing in another. And the third phrase this time is blind guides, which appears in verse 16 and is mentioned a number of times. Blind guides. And it's a reminder that uh, these are people who think of themselves as leaders of others, yet there's nothing worse than a leader who doesn't know or understand what he's doing or where he's going, and he's leading others there. Uh, To paraphrase J.C. Ryle, an unskilled pilot doesn't perish alone. I think he was thinking of boats because he's 19th century. But you can imagine an airplane, you know, a pilot who doesn't know what he's doing, uh, puts everybody else in danger. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They themselves were heading for hell and they were leading people to hell because of their attitude. Well, let's work through these uh, uh, things that Jesus says. I've got six headings, so I'll be quick. (laughs) Six headings. Do not be discouraged. Let's press on. First is this. Notice how dead the religion is. Uh, These people, so verse 13. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would, would enter to go in. These are people who have an influence over others that is so powerful that has the effect of those other people missing out on the kingdom of heaven. And of course the entry point to the kingdom of heaven is Jesus Christ. And he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. The way to the Father. Yet the Pharisees are doing everything they can to keep people away from Jesus Christ and paying attention to him. So in chapter 12, when uh, Matthew chapter 12, when the people are amazed at Jesus' ministry and uh, his casting out of demons and healing people, and uh, the people are wondering, is this the son of David? After all, all the promises of Scripture in the Old Testament, is he the son of David? And the Pharisees say to him, no, he's the son of Beelzebul. It is only Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this, by Beelzebul, that this man casts out demons. They try and dissuade people from going to Jesus. They try to put people off, and that's what a Pharisee does. They put people off coming to Jesus. And the sad thing is, here were the crowds, and they were looking for something. They, didn't, they weren't quite sure what they were looking for. They knew they had a need, and they thought, is this the son of David? Is this the one they were promised? Maybe we should go to him. And people were saying, no, don't go. Don't go. The child, son of Beelzebub. Son of the devil. And instead, all they could offer is a complicated system of law and a heavy burden being put on their shoulders. Keep these laws, do all these things, and you'll you'll get to heaven, maybe. I was thinking about how subtle the influences are can, can be to causing others to avoid Jesus. You know, for example, I, I don't know if this is true of anyone else, so I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody. But professing Christian parents can have sometimes a very subtle effect on their children and subtly dissuade them from seeking Jesus Christ. And parents might say to their children, Oh, you don't want you, you don't want to be too enthusiastic about Jesus. You don't want to become one of those kind of religious fanatic oddball types. You don't want to do that. Or the subtle form of mockery that parents can impose on their children can quietly erode any interest in Jesus Christ. Even though parents profess to be Christians. Both Susan and I have experienced this in our personal lives. Subtle mockery, subtle dissuasion from zeal for Jesus Christ. It's a sign of a Pharisee heart, putting, shutting the way to heaven. And there are many other examples one could work out. Dead religion of the Pharisees. Secondly, look at the effect of the witness on the followers. Verse 15. If I can find it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert. And when he becomes a proselyte convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Pharisees were 
proselytizers. They sought to convert people to their Phariseeism. They wanted people to join their movement, uh, to be just like them. And they had a certain kind of zeal about them. But of course, what they do is they win people to dead religion. And this is true of any kind of movement, if you think about it. Um, whether a religion or a philosophy or a political movement, um, what that does, what these do is count membership or they count social media followers or size of meetings or they just count numbers because they want a following. It gives validity to their view of things. And it's part of, it's, and the size of the following is a large part of their claim to be taken seriously. And say, so they can say, look, all these people are with us. We must be right. Every movement does this. Political movements, social movements, whatever. It can even happen in half-hearted Christianity. He says, there's a kind of worldly Christianity that subtly seeks to put Jesus at the periphery of life and still has and rather prefers the, the thoughts and the habits of the ways of the world. And when I say worldly, I mean all the ways of thinking that the world has, the world has things, the ways of thinking and doing things that the world has, without Jesus Christ at the center. That's, that's what worldliness is. And the goal of half-hearted Christianity is for you to make someone like yourself, to make other people around you like yourself, making more half-hearted people. It justifies you and your position. And again, you know, not picking on parents, but parents can be like this with their children. It's, a, it's, a, it's the most natural thing in the world to, for a parent to want their child to be just like them. Uh, I certainly did, Susan did. I'm sure you do as well. But if you're, you're a parent who's half-hearted in your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll subtly want your children to be half-hearted because a full-on wholehearted Christian son or daughter can be a threat to you. And that's the danger of Phariseeism. That Pharisees lead followers to become twice as much a child of hell as their parents. Beware of loyalty to family before Jesus Christ. So look at the, that's the effect on followers. Thirdly, look at the result of their teaching. Uh, verse 16 and 17, let me read those. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by an oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Uh, and so on. This is quite a lengthy treatment down to verse 22. Um, and of course... The sadness of this state of affairs is not simply that they are blind and they are in great danger themselves, but they lead others to oblivion. Verse 16 is the first point where uh, they are described as blind. Now, the whole section from 16 to 22 is, might sound quite alien to our ears because that's not the way that we operate in making oaths and so on. Essentially, it is that the Pharisees had created this complex system of oath-taking uh, and oath-swearing where some things were, some oaths were acceptable and some were not. But essentially, uh, the, the problem of 
of the system was that it was a system designed to allow swearing by something without actually having you commit to what you've, you've sworn, by, sworn to. So you can, make it, you can promise to do something and swear by something that's not very important and actually then you can just pull out of it later. And it's a way of sounding actually very sincere without actually committing to what you promised. And you see it's a, it's a whole, dis, you know, it's a deceiver's charter. The system of oath swearing. See, Christians are supposed to let their yes be yes and their no be no. Be no. So you shouldn't need to swear by, by anything to convince others that you're going to be truthful. But instituting a system of swearing oaths is a way of avoiding the simple and plain teaching of the Bible. See, that's a problem. The problem is it can slip into a Christian's life. You can read something in the Bible uh, or a preacher draws your attention to something significant in the Bible, uh, something to believe or something not to do or not to do, and you nod and you acknowledge it and you, you, in the face of it you commit to it, uh, but actually you forget all about it and you just ignore it. That's the heart of a Pharisee, not paying attention to God's word and the weightier matters of the law. See, are there, are there plain teachings in the Bible that you're not paying attention to, that you won't pay attention to, that you're avoiding from taking seriously? Because it, for all sorts of reasons, you don't like it, you fear it, it cause difficulties in your life. It's a mark of dead religion, a Phariseeism that's come in, where you're picking and choosing the bits you like and ignoring the bits you don't like. And that kind of religion, by a blind guide, leads people into ditches, you know, leads others into trouble. Matthew 15, the ditches. So the teaching ignores the important things of the law. Here's the fourth thing. Majoring on minors. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You, oh, sorry, verse, yeah, verse 23, wrong one. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now again, that sounds strange to us. Mint, dill, cumin, these are all spices. And uh, uh, they were quite meticulous, the Pharisees, about uh, dividing off the tithe, you know, the 10%, uh, even down to the, the bunches of mint, dill and cumin and setting them apart for the Lord. And actually, Jesus doesn't have a problem with that. He says you should do that and the other things as well. He says, the, you, verse 23, these you ought to have done. So there's not a problem with those things. But here's the problem with the Pharisees. You have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You see, this is what happens uh, with Pharisees, that they're always willing to show how meticulous they are in small things. But in the weighty matters, the important things, they're ambivalent. And there are some things that are really important. There are some things that are essential. It's essential that people care about justice, especially for the poor. It's essential that there's such a thing as mercy, not simply the cold steel of the unbending law. It's important that there's faithfulness, that people can be relied upon and trusted to do things, and do what they say they'll do. 
And so this is the problem with the Pharisees. They're majoring on the minors and ignoring the, important, the weighty matters of the law. And so Jesus says with a note of irony, you blind guides uh, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel, which is just an absurd picture, isn't it? There's irony there. There's uh, making fun of them, really. You know, the question for us this morning is, do you, do you or I, do we magnify the, what is less important, the insignificant, and neglect the weighty things of God's word? See, to do that is to be, have the heart of a Pharisee. Fifthly, caring about the external things, but careless about the heart. So again, this is now verse uh, 25. You clean the outside of the cup and plate, but they are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. Again, it comes back to what a hypocrite is. An actor playing a part, pretending to be something in front of other people that they're actually not in their own hearts. And it's easy to change behavior and speech so that others are impressed, but what you cannot do is change your heart. No point in changing your behavior if your heart's still filthy. And Jesus uses, a, uses this, these two images to illustrate this. The first is a cup that's cleaned, cleaned on the outside that's, that's not clean on the inside. It's disgusting. I remember once going to a lady's house for lunch, Sunday lunch once, and she, uh, she brought out the, the bowls for the pudding, and uh, she started dishing them out, and it came down to about the third or fourth bowl underneath, and uh, it was one that she had forgotten to wash out on a previous occasion. It just put back in the cupboard, and it was all green mold. Absolutely disgusting. That's what the hypocrite's life is like. Absolutely disgusting. Filth. And then the other picture is the whitewashed tomb. And they were painted white so that people didn't step on them. You know, they plot a ground or something. And uh, they'd be painted white, the stones would be painted white so that people didn't step on them and then become unclean. So it was a warning. And in a sense, it looks beautiful. You know, all all these white stones everywhere. And it looks like a beautiful thing. And yet, remember this. They're full of dead bones and uncleanness. Disgusting. (laughs) You know, that's what a Pharisee's heart is like. That's what Pharisees are like. And those who follow in their footsteps. And then finally, sixthly, they are deluded about themselves. So verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. It's one of the features of someone who's basically a Pharisee at heart is that they, they basically have a very high view of themselves. And it's a high view that the facts actually cannot bear. So you look at these Pharisees and they, they think highly of themselves because they, they honor the prophets of the past. They have a strong sense of history. They have their heroes. And of course, remember that the, the Pharisees had a terrible time. Uh, they were persecuted. They were killed. You just have to read Jeremiah uh, or Zechariah. And uh, I read Hebrews chapter 11, that great list of men of 
men and women of faith. And you see what they had to put up with. But the Pharisees, they make out that if they had been present at the time of the heroes of the past, they would have been on their side, fighting their corner. Verse 30. They say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. See, people often have this kind of view of themselves. You know, for example, I, I, I mean, I know people shouldn't live in Twitter, but you, you listen to Twitter, or, and, and lots of people who are too young to have really experienced much of life, but they start saying things. Like, if I was living in the Second World War in Nazi Germany, I would have been fighting against the Nazis. <laughs> you know, everybody says that. I would have been fighting against the Nazis. Or, if I was living in the 17th or 18th century England, I would have been fighting against slavery. And I'd be doing all these things. Now, these are important things to fight against. But do not delude yourself that you would have been amongst the people fighting. Because the simple fact was most people were not fighting those battles. Ordinary people who thought it was normal. It's easy to slip into the evil, the, the banality of evil of the Nazis. It's easy. So you would probably have been there. You probably would have been, most likely, if you had been living in those days, you'd have been justifying slavery. You would have been justifying the treatment of the Jews because you would have thought they're dangerous. There are many people today who think they're dangerous today. You would have thought that at the time, most likely. Only a few people fought against these things. And it's easy for us to have a high view of ourselves and to be deluded about our abilities and about the state of our own hearts. We like to think of ourselves in all our goodness rather than to see ourselves as we truly are. That we're villains. We're not heroes. We're villains in need of a a true hero. Jesus Christ. So Jesus speaks to the Pharisees in verse 31. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. You see, the whole lies speak, point in the other direction. That they are Pharisees. That they are just like their fathers that killed the prophets. And they betray their true lineage. And we've seen that already. Because, and it's true for these Pharisees because they're already plotting to kill Jesus though they have a high view of themselves. Their whole lives were not about upholding God's word. Rather, they silenced God and his prophets so they wouldn't have to listen. Well, as we finish, this final section in verse 37 onwards, listen to how Jesus, what Jesus says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. You see, this, this cry of, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, is so pregnant with sadness. 
This is like God saying in Hosea, through Hosea, as we've been studying on Sunday evenings, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do, do with you, O Judah? What shall I do with you, O Jerusalem? These are the words of somebody with deep sadness and compassion. And I wonder as we finish, would there be a case for Jesus putting your name in the place of Jerusalem? Oh, Stephen, Stephen, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to him. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not. This is the tragedy of somebody who has all the wrong religious characteristics and at the same time will not submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only way of salvation. I really am going to finish with this, but just a little story. I was reading the testimony of a a well-known Presbyterian minister in the United States who died a couple of weeks ago. Um, Harry Reader, and uh, he's not known to us, but he's well known in the States. And he told of how he was raised in a Christian church, a gospel-preaching church. And he heard the gospel preached every single Sunday. But it wasn't until he reached his 21st year that he realized something. And he wrote this, I realized it was I who was a sinner. I who was headed for hell. I who needed to be forgiven. I also realized that Jesus died for me. It was like the scales fell off and it was because because God was calling me by his grace. Now friends, this is not just a story for young people in their 20s or younger. It may be someone is in their 40s or their 50s or their 80s. And they have sat under gospel ministry and heard the call of Jesus to come to him and put aside one's Phariseeism, to to discover that you're a sinner but you can be saved by Jesus Christ, the one standing in front of you. This is what the Pharisees needed. They needed to bow before Jesus Christ. They needed to receive him and let him save them and cleanse them and purify them. Maybe there's somebody here this morning He's in that kind of category. You never really heard Jesus say to you personally, you're a sinner, but I've come, I'm offering you salvation. You need Jesus to save you from your sins. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, his directness, the challenge to our hearts, And we may find that some of us are wrestling with what Jesus says to us. We pray you grant us grace to accept that we need to repent of our sin and come to Jesus again. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.